I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. He did the monster mash. Welcome to the Plot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Depths Magazine. The Plot is a co-production of Odessa Steps Magazine and the When It Was Cool Network. This week's episode was inspired by the guys over at Longbox Heroes, Joe and Todd, who have both been on the Winter Palace numerous times before. Go and check out the archives if you want. They've been doing a year-long review of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and a few weeks ago when they got to Seasons of Mists, which may be my favorite Sandman arc, I remembered that the ending of that story, no spoilers here, although there will be spoilers actually, uh, involved something that became a running gag in another book that I love that was not necessarily a spinoff, but just, let's say, inspired by. And when I jokingly mentioned it to them, and if it was going to, it was going to be something they mentioned on their show, they said no, and I thought, well, in that case, I'm going to go ahead and do an episode about it myself. And that is the 1993 miniseries by Phil Folio, bringing back a classic DC character from the 60s, Stanley and his monster. Stanley and His Monster was originally created to be a backup strip in DC's funny animal comic book called Fox and the Crow, and it was created by Arnold Drake, who may be best remembered now as the one of the creators of the original Doom Patrol, and Wynn Mortimer, who was a longtime DC artist who worked on Superman and Batman, and would later go on to Marvel in the 70s and draw Spidey Super Stories. The first issue they appear in is issue 95, which is the December 1965, January 1966 issue. We're introduced to Stanley Dover on the first page, along with his typical button-down dad wearing a bow tie, uh, smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper. He looks a lot like Dave Carkeesian, the guy who created Alvin and the Chipmunks. If you've ever seen the Alvin and the Chipmunks cartoon, that's kind of what he looks like. The Stanley's mother is your typical 1950s, 1960s housewife, although no obligatory pearls. We soon learn that Stanley is a rambunctious six-year-old in the Dennis the Menace mold with a very hyperactive imagination reminiscent of Warner Brothers' Ralphie Phillips. We see on the second page that he is preparing to take a bath but pretending to be the world's greatest bathtub diver. We soon see him dressed as a cowboy, going on these adventures, talking to his toys. So eventually his parents throw him out of the house. He's wandering around, and he climbs down a manhole where he runs into the monster, who is a big pink monster with 
Fangs sort of kind of looks like Gossamer from Warner Brothers and all these other kind of things. We learned that this monster is kind of a nice guy and a scaredy cat. We see that he was being picked on in Arthurian times because they thought he was a lightness monster or that he was a dragon and all he was doing was uh, lying around having a smoke. He goes off to the Arctic where they think he's the abominable snowman. And so he's hiding at the bottom of the sewer, just trying to stay away from everybody. And he hate Stanley brings him out, hates the son. He brings him home. He's going to make him his dog. But his parents have already said they can't have a dog. And then he jokingly says, well, if I can't have a dog, can I have a monster? They think it's just his imagination. They say, yeah. His father and then he gets this uh, brilliant idea about it being a monster, and he says that the exercise can of Ben Coffer Beans monster size, because, of course, he works as an ad agency. This is the late 60s, so not only is he Dave Sarkeesian, he's also Darren Stevens and or one of the guys from Madman. And that's pretty much it. This is only like an eight-page story, and that's it. Um, the book runs for another year or so before Stanley and his monster become the feature, the take over the title of the book, but that's only for a few issues and then they go away. The book is canceled not soon after. So they lie dormant pretty much for the most part for almost 30 years when they suddenly show up again. Before we talk about the Stanley and his monster miniseries, let's talk about the guy who would end up bringing it to life. Phil Folio was a cartoonist in the 80s who had done a number of role-playing kind of things and then eventually started doing the myth-adventure cartoons based on the novels of Robert Lynn Asprin and also started his own parody book in the 80s called Buck Gado Zap Gun for Hire, which is very loosely a parody of sort of the Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon type of things. So eventually he makes his way to doing some stuff at DC. He did a Plastic Man miniseries, and then he did a series about Angel and the Ape, which was another 1960s DC humor concept that involved an ape who was a cartoonist and his sometimes girlfriend, Angel, who was a private detective. That leads us to the Stanley's Monster miniseries. But first, let's talk about Season of Mists. So, if you read that Sandman series, uh, here are the spoilers for you, you remember that Lucifer gave up being the ruler of hell and gave the key to Morpheus, and he had to decide what to do with it. And so various gods from all the pantheons from around the universe came for vying for them. And in the end, it turns out, God said no, he wanted control of hell, and he put it in the stewardship of these two angels named Rumiel and Duma, one of whom talked, one of whom didn't. And so we jump forward to the Stanley and his monster miniseries. And remember, uh, the monster is a demon. And we start off by seeing hell, and Angel and Duma are in charge of hell but they're wearing summer camp counselor t-shirts that say staff 
and running whistles around their neck. Uh, Duma is still silent, so he speaks with silent war balloons. So they're trying to do a roll call of all the demons that are left in hell, and they ask for, where is the nameless one? But he's not there. One of the demons says, he's on earth. And they're like, what? We can't have this. No, this will not do at all. Etrigan is bad enough, but there is no excuse for two of them running around loose. We must deal with this at once. Now, what they don't know is that he had actually been kicked out of hell because he was too good. But, of course, the demons aren't going to tell the two angels about this. And then wackiness ensues. Stanley and the monster decide they're going to build a tree fort and then trying to get all these people to help them, including a local carpenter and their grandfather. And in the meantime, they're also having this assortment of very weird daydreams, which just happen to convene a bunch of DCU characters. We see some with the Joker where he's got the monster tied up and Stanley has to come save him. Although there's a, what would seem nowadays odd, a reference to the killing joke in this lighthearted comedy book. We also see the Justice League International era of the Justice League. And then after we see that Stanley has been doing too many dreams, who shows up to put him in his place but Sandman? But not Morpheus. No, it's Wesley Dodds, but he's speaking with the black and white word balloons that Morpheus had in Sandman. The guys finally get their clubhouse built in the middle of a thunderstorm was suddenly behind a spooky crack of lightning. Who is it at the door? Is it a bad guy? No, it's it's mom. It turns out she's there to inspect the treehouse and also learn that she's the one that gave Stanley and the monster a copy of the book about how to build the Ford house, which they actually thought was their dad's book, but no, it turns out it was their mom's. She goes away, and then just when you think everything is safe, there's another crack of lightning. And there in the doorway is a very seductive demon named Nyx. And that's where issue one ends. Issue two begins in a CE bar, where this guy dressed like a 1920s college student is talking to what we think is a very familiar-looking scraggly blonde-haired guy wearing a trench coat, smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer and the college guy tells him there's a demon on the loose in this place that's nearby a suburb of New York and he thanks him for it and the kid says gee whiz Abby Dabbler and the diabolical has heard of John Constantine which causes him to do a spit take and he says John Constantine that clown you impertinent oaf I am Ambrose Bierce that's Bierce with a B not pierced with a P. And he says, but the trench coat, the air of dissipation, the cigarettes. He says, oh, for the love of, and he pulls out a card that says, disreputable urban magicians and sorcerers union. No, it's not your fault. You learn the basics, have a hideous experience in a graveyard. They give you a trench coat and steal your razor, much like an assembly line, really. So he goes off to figure out where this demon is. We see the monster and Nyx having this tete-a-tete in the treehouse and we learn that she's been tasked by the two angels to bring him back to hell. He doesn't. He runs away. While this is going on, Beer shows up at the Dover household talking about 
all this and that, trying to worm his way into the house. And finally he learns that the kid has the monster, and he also thinks he's John Constantine, which of course only serves to get Bierce's goat up. We go along, finally they meet the monster, and then there's a Puritan woman who shows up, who it turns is actually Nix in disguise. There's another fight. She fights with Bierce. Then they disappear. She uh, zaps the monster back to hell, or so she thinks. She presents him to Ramiel and Dumas. Only it turns out it's not actually the monster. It's a little stuffed doll that's been given a spell of illusion. The angels are not happy with her, and they punish her. And then the issue, issue two ends when it turns out that Stanley's parents accidentally walk in on Beer, Stanley, and the monster. And this is apparently the first time they've actually seen that the monster is real. Issue three starts with the parents all concerned. Bierce tells them that he's actually not a monster. He's an Indian tribal spirit. And that their house was built on the site of an ancient village. But he can perform an exorcism for them. We go along, we get some more stuff, some more bad guys show up, etc., etc. You know, issue three, not surprisingly, is kind of the filler-in issue. We get some more bad guys from hell that show up. And eventually, everybody ends up in hell as we end issue three. And, which comes, just as they get spirited to hell, who comes to save the day? It's the Phantom Stranger. Issue 4 starts, and they say, who are you? And he says, I am a stranger. And Stanley said, that's too bad. Too bad. I said, I'm here to help you. And you said, maybe, but my mom says I'm not allowed to talk to strangers. So the monster's gone. The stranger finds a way to send Stanley to hell. And Stanley and Beerus go off looking for the monster. They run into a bunch of very strange-looking demons before they finally find the monster. He's in an office doing paperwork, which you can imagine to some people is their version of hell. They fight with the monster that's apparently his boss. They eventually show up, have a conversation. They free Nick, They find Nix, and they free her because, you know, she's actually, even though she's drawn like a bad girl, she's actually not so bad after all. And she's still in love with the monster after all this time. We go in front. Though they run into Cerberus. Not surprisingly, they trick Cerberus into chasing down this uh, monster that was Stanley's boss in the office. And then eventually we end up back in front of Rumiel and Duma again. Well, they learn that the reason that he left is because... I was exiled by Lord Lucifer because I know I was no longer evil. Hell has no claim on me. Romeo asks, well, why didn't anyone ever tell this? And she says, well, because you didn't ask. So they say, let's make everything right. We go back to everybody has a happy ending. They know about Stanley. They let him keep him. Beerus is uh, satisfied with this. And everybody lived happily ever after, at least in this series. This is a really, really fun book. Um, I tried not to give too many of the gags away because some of them were visual based on the way some of the monsters look. Some of the puns 
you know you need in the context of the book itself that I don't want to spoil but I would definitely encourage everyone to seek this out and also the other stuff that Phil did at DC the Angel in the Eight book and his Plastic Man book but that's not the end of Stanley and his monster at least in recent times Their next real notable appearance is in, of all places, Kevin Smith's Green Arrow in 2001, but that's a much different, darker version of Stanley and his monster, that one that we're not really going to talk about here. My apologies to my pal Phil Hester, who drew, drew those issues, but that's not really what we're talking about. They've appeared a couple other times in various DC things, various crises and uh, cameos and things like that but the recent one that we're going to talk about because I love the book so much is that they were in issue 72 of Scooby-Doo Team Up which came out a couple years ago people may have heard me on this or other pods extol the virtues of the Scooby-Doo verse of the DC Kids line the Scooby-Doo Team Up books and now what they've evolved to to the Batman Scooby-Doo mystery books uh, by Charlie Fish and other writers and creators. But if you're an old-school DC fan who does not necessarily like the darkness and hyper-violence of current DC stuff, this is our wonderful sort of throwback, especially the Scooby-Doo team-up books, which are full of random guest stars from all over basically the... DC Library, the Warner Brothers Library, the Hanna-Barbera Library, anything that you could probably find on Max or Cartoon Network on Boomerang could have shown up in DC Team-Up. So anyway, issue 72 of Scooby-Doo Team-Up, which is from 2018, see them not only meet Stanley and his monster, but also meet the aforementioned Angel and the Ape and the Inferior Five and the Maniacs, who were a mod pop band who were featured in a couple issues of Showcase Comics, all of whom show up in this one issue without giving too much away. There's also a surprise cameo at the end that I won't ruin. But uh, if you're a fan of that sort of corner of the old-school DC funny book universe, the kind of stuff that Bob Oskner did back then, or if you've read any of these Filfolio books that I recommend, definitely look up the Scooby-Doo team-up, which you can find digitally. I think it was also eventually printed as uh, floppy at some point over the years. But that's Stanley and his monster. Thanks, everyone, for coming around today. We have some irons in the fire for future podcasts here and at their winter path, which I'm hoping to get some what I would consider very... Uh, mainstream A-level guests. I don't know if any of them are going to come through or not, but keep your eyes posted on the feed. Make sure you check out the other shows on the When It Was Cool Network. 
Carl's done a bunch of 1980 cartoon reviews, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't. But uh, definitely check those out and all the other shows on the network, and we will talk to you next time. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them Vincent sent you. Now you can monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. Now you can monster mash. Come now, my pretty. Do the monster mash. It won't hurt. I promise. <laughs>